What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. What does position specific coaching look like to you? So there's so many different directions we can take this in, but let's see where let's see where we get with it. Yeah, for sure, it's it's interesting because obviously, you know, when you talk to a lot of coaches, and I know a position specific training goes on at a lot of different academies now, but it looks very different. You know, last week we talked about individual training, and some people talk about that as position specific, and then when you work in certain other club environments, they'll often talk about. You know the the position specific stuff is is probably going uh, further away. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on you know where it's more focused on general principles or certain player actions, but they want that universality where the players are technically proficient and can occupy in any different space, any different system. They're adaptable. For me, position specific work is quite clear that. If, you, if you've got certain roles and responsibilities, you've got whatever shape, formation you want to play, whether it's the number seven, the number nine, whatever it may be, you've got very clear 
uh, training to sort of support those players, whether they're a midfielder, whether they're a forward, full-back, centre-back, goalkeeper, whatever it may be. I think that the, the key is obviously considering that you've got to really focus on the individual detail within that. So, of course, you know, across different positions, there'll be different levels of pressure, um, you know, different receiving uh, statistics. You know, for example, typically centre-backs might have a lot of pressure in front, maybe 80% of pressure in front, 20 30% is normally around. Um, you know, full-backs is typically looking at some data, 35 across the board, sort of 35, 35 and... and and 30, and then you might have like central midfield, might be maybe 20%, like as a number eight or whatever, might be 20% pressure, but then 80% is around or behind. You know, most pressure comes from around or behind, but then obviously it'll get more specific depending on the position you're in. So those are just global things. The reason why I mention that is because you've got to consider the individual details and the, the characteristics. Because if you're designing a practice to support a midfielder, but the designer practice involves a lot of pressure, dealing with pressure faced up, well, that might not be their game. That's what might not be what it looks like when operating in that midfield role. So you've got to consider, you know, especially if it's a winger, it might be 30, 40% in front, 60% is around or behind. You know, if they're getting dealing with pressure from a fullback closing them down from behind or from different angles. So again, and like I said, on the flip side, you know, centre backs typically a lot of pressure there'll be some that come from behind or around, but typically a lot of it will be in front. So then that that has an influence on how do you design your practices based on those sort of I guess positional key considerations. And then for me, it's then designing a practice to support that player. So you've got to really consider what are the actions and, and principles that you want in that player to get better at. So if it is a number eight or it's a number whatever, let's say it's a number six, and you want them to get better at sometimes showing a passing lane, so inviting that pass in, and then to intercept, so they're setting the trap. They're almost saying, go on, give the ball there to that number 10 who's dropping in or that number nine. Or there might be sometimes you shut off the passing lane. So you're like, no, you're not playing that pass. I've shut that lane off. Well, then how can you design that practice to look like that? You know what I mean? Yeah, so there might be certain times where you've designed this sort of functional game and it looks like their game. So it considers field geography as well. I think that's a big one. You know, obviously not everyone's blessed with, you know, some of the facilities that, like, for example, I'm at where we've got 10, 11-a-side uh, pitches. We've got all the goals. We've got everything. So everything we do can be field geography specific. Some in their environment might be where you got <laughs> half of a third, you know, or whatever, or you train on a third of a pitch. But you can still get those details. You can still make it look like their game. You know, if it's somebody pressing from behind, the, the number six screening that pass into a target player, you got players in front of them who are moving that ball. And their their objective is to try and play into the the target player to play forward, and for the midfielder, he's screening those passes, or as not as the case may be. So it's, you're getting those, or it might be another practice where it's a number six closing down the number ten as the ball's played in, and it's prevent that player from rolling, prevent that player from getting faced up, prevent that player from playing forward. Can you force them to play backwards, or can you? 
can you protect that ball from going, you know, so these are, I'm just throwing different examples out. And just in summary, position-specific work is considering the individual details of each position, as I've made reference to, you know, what does their game look like, position, pressure, that type of thing. Designing functional practices that look like their game and considering field geography, pitch geography. I think those are the initial steps, you know, then obviously we can evolve from there. 100 percent there's a lot in there already like you know the first thing that kind of came to mind was me was when you see the visuals of everyone putting on games and they said you know they, they they section out maybe like a 2v2 that's occurred here or a 2v1 occurred here and a 3v2 or whatever those situations might be those small side elements to each phase of play if you like and it, it, it then kind of leads into what you said there and right what, what what's the purpose of it where's the pressure coming from what's the outcome so if it is a 2v2 and you're working with i don't know a center back and a right back as an example what's the 2v2 trying to achieve well it's not trying to score a goal it's a 2v2 to potentially dribble out and break lines through a dribble into the into the midfield third or it could be um a center back a, pa- a pairing of center backs doing a 2v2 but with the balls with the outcome being a pass into the final third or a pass into the mid- into the middle of the third whether that be centrally or, or in the wide areas so i think there's a lot in there and what you've talked about but the key thing is about those finer details and that pitch geography piece is so key because when we look at breaking that down and looking at position-specific coaching, where are they on the pitch? What is the outcome that they're trying to achieve, whether in possession, out of possession? Is it, for instance, a 2v2 in midfield where the focus on the out of possession midfielders is actually the recovery runs to get back into shape and delay the play or however may, however, however may that look? So I guess you know, the, the, kind of the question that comes back for me on that one is where do you start? Because... People will talk about, you know, we talked about individual coaching last week or rather one-to-one coaching and how and how that can maybe have an impact. But in terms of position specific stuff, you referred to earlier, obviously, that every club, every environment might be doing it slightly differently. In fact, they almost probably are doing it very differently. What are some good principles maybe you think that coaches can start to think about around if this is something that's new to them or something they're maybe challenging in, in an existing process that you think they should put into consideration from, from, from the get-go or rather not challenge necessarily, but observe to see whether they are fitting in line with certain things if that makes sense yeah for sure i mean i I would say you've all you've got to start with the end in mind so you've got to think about the football identity of the player so the players that you're working with what's their identity how do they like to play the game that's their football identity that i think you we've got to refer to because everyone's very different you know as we can see you know Grealish plays the game very different to a Declan Rice and people say well that's obvious because they they play two very different positions but then even if you were to compare a Declan Rice with a Jordan Henderson you know they're very different um or a Jude Bellingham or whoever so it's I think you've got to look at like I've just named a few examples there of different midfielders you've got you know Grealish, Foden, Sterling all these guys and the the reality is that they all play the game very very differently they all have individual strengths but it's also having an understanding of what what do we want them to do within our game style, within our sort of methodology, if you like, or philosophy or whatever it is you, you want to word it. So, for example, like we did some stuff where, you know, we the profile of one of our number sevens was that, you know, especially with how we want to play, we've looked at the detail of assist locations now. So a lot of the assists are coming from different locations to where they were traditionally years ago you know for most people it might be 
you consider like you know balls going down the outside channel and different types of crosses or pullbacks. But what we're noticing now is that assists don't necessarily come from that classical down the outside anymore. Um, so where are the balls coming from? So again, looking at the game and the future game, but then also like the players that operate within that game. You know, we were looking at detail like the MLS and certain players, and it might be that you look at let's say a number seven, and for the and for you and your club and your what you want them to do, how you want them to operate, it might be that you know if they're beating a player, the fullback on the outside, um, where are the types of balls that you want them to hit? What areas do you want them to hit? So you might design a functional practice where there's a server playing the ball in, similar to like a midfielder or a fullback finding that winger who's one against one with pressure in front of him as well as behind or around. And he's got to quickly identify. I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting back on some of the games where, like even England-USA, for example, and they kept going down the outside and uh, putting some fantastic crosses in. So, you know, <laughs> kids are playing hide and seek. So, so, yeah, so you'd get that where, they'd, um, you know, you could actually put like little mini goals in and around the six-yard box, which I think will be quite cool. You could have almost like a mini goal near the near post. You could have a mini goal in and around the penalty spot, maybe another mini goal on an angle towards maybe the D or whatever. And then you might have like different targets where you know the, the 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 player has to work on their distribution into those goals, or it could be that they're attacking a player, which is even better, you know. But that initial bit of just decisions and where to put the ball, because for some coaches it's attack an area, put the ball in an area, and we'll figure out the rest. Because if you're put if they, if everyone knows that they're going to hit these certain goals and areas where most goals are, are scored from, if you like, and that gold zone. And that's a visual as well, thinking about field geography, position specific for your forwards. Because within your game style, you might be saying to the forwards, we want you to hit these areas. So your movements, a bit like when you watch um, Haaland, and he'll, he'll make late but quick movements, and he'll come off the blind side of people, and he'll get his shoulder across their shoulder. Those late but quick runs are not by accident. It's not an accident, you know. It's by design. He's doing that because he wants to be able to attack those areas where he knows the ball's going to fall. So people are putting balls in those areas. And equally, you know, he's playing off instinct as well, isn't he? Where he's reacting to second phase of the cross, rebounds, if something hasn't been cleared properly, if he's anticipating where it might bounce. And that you're only going to develop that instinct in us by, well, one, playing games, but two, creating more game-like experiences. See, for me, position-specific work is about creating these game-like experiences, what tap into their football identity, and then they get that uh, repetition without repetition, that rehearsal, those different scenarios. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's how you can you can build it on, you know. And we would do a lot of that, even, you know, within the DTN, we would look at, for example you know, midfield work, we would we would identify that if we're playing against Ghana and we know Ghana are playing, you know, in a one four three three and they, they play with a point down and they've got a number six that will just track the number ten. He'll just their D line midfielder will just man mark you for the rest of the game. He'll just follow you. And they'll or you're playing against like Senegal and 
you know they're going to be really uh, compact, you know, defending a mid to low block. The spaces between lines are very, very small. Again, how are you designing your work for that? So, And I think the FIFA training centre has done a great job of, you know, the post-match analysis. I think there's loads of little hints there. Anyone listening, go check out the FIFA training centre. Go pull up the post-match report. Look at the individual detail of the the distances between units, the, the shape in animation. Because what you could do is you could design your practices to replicate those demands. So if you know that they're defending no wider than the width of the box, which is 44 yards, and in, in some cases some of these teams are defending even uh, narrower, so they could be defending within 35 yards or 30 yards, and then the space in between that is even reduced. You know, there might only be maybe even a few yards in between the the lines. That's a fantastic environment, you know, to try and take a slice out of that game and replicate that for an individual work to to try and get that where it's that number six who's tracking everybody and you've got to play in between the lines. How does he unlock that defence? Do you know what I mean? So you're designing practices that are going to create the problems they're likely to see in the game. And I think that's where that position specific comes in, that you've got to, you've got to look at the details, you know, and then make it relevant to some of the scenarios that they're, they're likely to face. You know, I think you're spotting there. There's some, there's some brilliant stuff in there. I think first and foremost is really paying attention to that detail again. And I think even the challenge for coaches to think about now, and it's, you know, regardless of what level you're, you're working at, is being creative about how the opposition is setting up within each of your practices. So if you are working on a 2v2 or a 3v3, whatever, whatever position-specific elements you're working on, or not, it might be a general team session, but it's just looking at, are you being creative about how the opposition could potentially set up against this? And challenging your players and giving them experience, <coughs> sorry, giving them experiences of what though what those strategies and tactics that that they might have to come up against may be, um, or are you just setting it up and saying right this is the practice is two v two and it's got to have an end, an end goal on it which is the finish or wherever that might look like and I think something else that's key within that Gerald is obviously recognizing within the practice design how far you allow it to kind of spin off from where it, where it begins. I think the, the the way the session starts and the way the session finishes, um, rather the practice starts and practice finishes, is obviously going to be a massively massively key part to this as well. Because there'll be people saying, "Well, if we're just working on a simple phase with that one position, how many how you know how many returns are we getting from it?" Well, this is where the position specific piece comes in. It's not for everyone. It's not for every single environment. But it's recognizing that if you're going to do it, are you doing it to the maximal impact? And recognizing where those players are going to experience those situations in the game, how they're receiving it. So, for instance, if it is two central midfielders that you're working on, how are the how is the practice starting? Is it starting with them just picking up the ball and dribbling into the area, or is it starting with a server from a particular point or a particular angle, which might replicate another type of player, whether that be a centre back, whether that be a fullback, whether that be, you know, uh, someone setting it back for them for them to then build up the practice again. So, you know, just some considerations there, Joe. But you know, you mentioned there obviously looking at different strategies and systems in terms of how the different teams could set up and obviously using the FIFA training centre as a as a guideline to kind of get some insights on that sort of stuff. But, you know, let, let, let's, let, we've, got, we've got to kind of almost be fair to everyone in the, in the room that's, that's looking at this and recognising that that's not always going to be the level they're working at. The majority of us won't be working at that level. So it's recognising that how do we start to bleed some of these ideas 
into the sessions that we're doing, whether it be with professional development phase players, youth development phase players, or even foundation phase players, but also recognising, and the phrase that you like to use a lot, the difference between their game and their game, recognising what does that look like if it is an under nine and I want to do position specific work with my central midfielders in under at under nines. Well, there will be some similarities to what they do at under thirteens and under fifteens, and then so on and so forth at under seventeens and so on and you know beyond that. But what does it actually look like? What are the likelihood you know that these are the situations they're going to face in their game? So I guess what you know what would you be what would be your advice to those coaches who are maybe working at the lower end of the spectrum, maybe don't have necessarily the same resources as 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 what you've suggested in you know in what you've said and more importantly highlighting that how much time should be spent around position specific stuff is there a particular age that you think it should be brought into play and, and, and where it's most impactful do you think i think right across all the ages we should always be really making sure that we're coaching the principles because often like we've got this continuum, if you like. And it's not to suggest that learning's linear, because learning isn't, as we know. Learning's non-linear. And players will bounce up and down. And, you know, there'll be times where they, they, they're improving and they're showing great signs of stuff and then they'll dip. But we have this continuum where right across we're always talking about principles. But then as they get older, we'll start to talk about sub-principles. And then even at the oldest age groups, whether in the teenage years, you know, U17, U18, U19, and so forth, we'll talk about the micro principles. The detail and the, the, the danger that I often see is that coaches give poor technical detail, poor information, and they'll try and coach um, the micro details at too early an age. And it's that premature professionalism, if you like. Whereas for me, irrespective of whether they're in the professional game, grassroots game, whatever, we need to develop environments where players can solve problems based on the game. But considering, as you said, that's that's where my head was going straight away, their game. So if we talk about like the top level, we know that it's a one-touch or a two-touch finish, typically. And we know that there's a certain you know time constraint on you know the number of seconds once that ball is intercepted, how quickly they can get from the transition a goal or how quickly the ball, when it is played into the penalty area, how early you have to score. But that doesn't look like their game because we know that, you know, at seven aside, and in some cases even at nine aside, but seven be seven, things like that, they might be taking five, six, seven plus touches to finish the goal. And that's their game. Now, that's not to say we can't, you know, we, we drop standards because, of course, if you can get kids to learn how to, to shoot early and things like that, fantastic. But we need to also recognise that we don't want to jump steps. We want to make sure that we're creating an environment that's scaffolded learning and it's providing that platform where they can take it step at a time. No different to, you know, I use the analogy, if you're trying to walk up the stairs, depending on how much of a rush you're in, you may go two, you might try and have a bigger step and do two steps at once. Three, you definitely won't be able to do four or five. Maybe some of you can, but what you'll do, if you do that too quick, you'll fall. Like that, that is it for sure. You know, typically most people will take one step at a time. Some will do it without holding the handrail. Some will still need to hold that safety net and have the handrail. I think coaching's the same. We know that, you know, really we should take it one step at a time. And some might need to hold down that safety and have a bit like if you learn how to ride a bike, you've got the stabilizers. Some might need that extra support than others so we need to recognize that within the practices 
if we're designing sessions, we don't want to be in this mad rush to get to the top level. That premature professionalism, that treating them like mini adults. Yes, we can look at the data, like I've said, but then we need to recognise, you know, their game looks something totally different. So then I would be, I'd be creating challenges where, again, you're doing your position specific training, if you like, but within the game. So if you're training these, um, you know, possession-based activities, small-sided games, whatever it may be, but you're giving them challenges of like, show me different ways that you can intercept the ball or, or how, how um, you know, try to identify when the, for, when the midfielder is going to play the pass into the uh, centre forward. Can you stop that pass going into him? You know, and then you might even do like little challenge cards so again, like you're creating a game, you're not going overly detailed, like I was, you know, suggesting before, where you, you could do, if unless you are working at a decent level, you know, where you go into the exact pitch dimensions. But what you might do is you might just create little, uh, little challenge cards, and then these challenge cards, you know, you could you could ask the players like which one do you want to pick, and across each position they've got to basically identify well maybe that's my challenge for today like how can i uh play forward early into the number eight and they've got a four whoever the free player is but what you're doing is you you you're making it fun and playful i think that's the key i think at the youngest age you asked the question yes which i thought was great at what point do you do this typically from my experiences of working in morocco working in england working in the united states and so forth we would normally talk around position specific when they get to 11 v 11. And normally when you're going for that maturation and you're getting into the 11 v 11 game, that doesn't mean we'll, we're pigeonholing players into certain positions, but we're starting to talk about position specific stuff because with the younger ages, they need to be able to play in all different kinds of positions. And I've done it, even at the detriment of some results. But I don't think they need to play in four or five in a game. You know, sometimes one, two different positions in a game might be enough. That might be too much. You know, sometimes it might be three if you've had an injury. I wouldn't necessarily count that. You know, if Yaz has come off injured and you need to throw somebody on. But when they're in the foundation phase, they need to be playing in different positions to develop the game and understand different receiving angles, the challenges, you know, playing it as a forward against a centre-back if they're a centre-back and things like that. Because they're going to learn, like, the type of runs that, that you know, if the forwards making these runs, what they don't like on the receiving end and things like that, or you know where the centre back doesn't want them to go, or or what you know how defenders will defend against them in certain ways, so they come up with solutions to counter that. That's what you want to develop. When they get into sort of 13, 14, 15, you can start to really holding on positions, and then even then, and we've known this for years, haven't we, as where you've got players who are twenty one. And they've played the whole youth career as a forward, and even then they've ended up as a centre back. You know, so it's you've always got to recognise that certain players will have different traits. I think we need to recognise what those strengths are. Some might be stronger in defence than others, and they've got natural instincts. But we do have a duty of care to to develop them in different ways, so that we're not pigeonholing them because we're just going to limit their learning and their potential ultimately and then I would say because um, you asked me two or three questions there so that would be that one and then I would say for the other thing is with the individual work it's how can you design an environment where we put them in shapes 
So in the small side of game, it's not just throw them into a game and let them play. But actually, they're always organised in some shape or another. And sometimes shapes against shapes. But you don't always have to announce everything. I think if we're creating games where we've got shapes, but we don't announce everything. So within the design of the practice, there's some stuff that's unannounced. Meaning that we don't have to tell them everything. Because often we'll design a lot of training environments where everything's announced. So we'll say, right, Yaz's team or the blue team, you're going to be attacking this goal, da, 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 you're playing in this shape, here's your rules. When you lose the ball, you're going to have press high, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Your team, red team, when you get the ball, where are you going, bum, bum, bum. And, and that's fine. It's not to say you can't do that. But, you know, the game isn't announced. The game is unannounced. The game is completely random. So what might be better is if we create environments where we have shapes countering each other and that way you're creating different scenarios. So if you have different shape formations, whether it be in a 6v6, an 8v8, 4v4, 5v3, whatever it is, depending on what you're working on, of course, and the number of players you have that particular night for that activity, in that, I would say like create opportunities where players are overloaded or underloaded. So if I'm the midfielder, I might be playing against a midfield two and I'm on my own as the one with other players in front of me. You know, and the other and my two mid, my two buddies are playing behind their line. But try to keep them in the shape. It's not to pigeonhole them. And it's definitely not to because I've seen some people take this to the extreme, definitely at the grassroots level, where they're like, No, 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 you're a defender and you stay here. And it just doesn't look like the game or their game. And kids don't develop that interactiveness of like how to attack, how to defend and things like that. But I am saying create a bit of a structure, you know, because it'll help them. But give them scenarios. So if I'm in that one, I have to figure out how to outplay when there's two. But if I've got my two buddies who are behind their two, how can I find those two behind them? And what questions are we asking? Because that'll develop the players. So if they do play in different shapes, you know, whatever stage of the, the game you're in, whether it's 11 v 11, 77 or 9 v 9, there will be times where you're playing against, and we do this a lot, you know, with our programme, we've had a lot of clubs not really know what we're doing, you know, because, uh, you know, they'll typically, like at nine aside, for example, they might go with uh, a three at the back, a one, three, four, one, they might play with a diamond or a square. And there's been other times where we've gone completely the opposite to that, you know, um, and we've changed it, we've created more lines, we've done different shapes. But then what we've done is we've had players really recognise their roles and responsibility within that shape. And I think that's where it's key. You've got to but not overload the kids, right? You've just got to give them one or two clear challenges and then let them play with the game because the game's, you know, challenging enough. I think you're spot on. I think there's some great stuff in there. You know, we, especially when we talk about the announced and unannounced piece. And just to give, you know, further clarity on that, you know, announcing it is basically literally telling the players what they're going to be looking at, what they're going to be working on specifically, um, rather than the unannounced piece where it's just almost like you're going to set up the practice and you might you might use a bit of Q&A and a bit of guided discovery throughout the process just to kind of unpack. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With them, what they believe the challenges are, what they believe the situation is, and how and how they how they're viewing it, so they can really get their perceptions on it. So I think that bit, that bit, that bit's brilliant, and I, and I think you're spot on as well in terms of some coaches predominantly. And the thing is, I don't even I don't even like to label this as a grassroots thing. I think it is because you see it in some elite environments where you know some of the coaching the coaching that takes place is still questionable if you, if if you ask me. But it's almost. Yes, we know you want the players to do certain things, but actually, what are they seeing? It's their, you know, if you come back to it in your phrase, it's their game. What have they identified? What have they noticed? Have, have, they, have, they, have they thought about what the challenges and solutions are around what they're facing? And I think that piece is so key. So for me, it's looking at even within the position specific piece, does it always have to be pitch geography? Does it always have to be game related specifically, or could we work on technical pieces? And I think this is where, you know, something else that uh, came into my head as you were talking was, you know, are we looking at the types of actions that they that they can that they're going to need to um, be able to carry out? Are they going to? Are we looking at, for instance, if you're a centre back, as an example, you know, you you might be playing maybe five to 10 yards forward. But actually, when you're playing playing into the wide areas, your passes might be 50, over 15 and 20 yards. Are we factoring that side, that side of stuff into things? So position-specific, you know, in my opinion, shouldn't always necessarily be about certain scenarios and pitch geography specifically, but actually looking at the actions that they needed to carry out as well. How good are your players at recognising, you know, that when they're playing out from the back as a centre-back, that their first pass might be into a wide area? So are they good at... You know, putting that pass in across fifteen, twenty yards in a wide area, or looking looking at clipping over the front line of the opposition, as opposed to just a generic passing practice. Which, again, you know, you, there's two kind of avenues you can go down the position specific piece around. Is it scenario based around the situation that the players are going to face within the game, or is it actually looking at the technical competencies and the actions they're going to need to carry out? Used an example earlier about Erling Haaland and the types of runs that he's making. Those runs are deliberate and intentional, as opposed to just 
you know, you see it so many times, especially at the, at the younger ages, where players just make a run and they think that's their job done. And then sometimes they made the run so early, they're just waiting, waiting, waiting for a ball that never arrives. And when it finally does, they're either offside or just inactive and just, just you know, observing the game rather than actually being participants of the game. So, you know, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that, but it'll be good to get everyone else's views and opinions around whether they've tried position-specific coaching before whether they've considered it, what it looks like in the environment, or, what, or, or any insights or thoughts that they might have had around other experiences. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'd be good to open it up. The only thing I'd just finish off on there, as you were saying it, is it got me thinking about habits. I think a lot of this is about good habits. So how we create environments where players are forming good habits, and whether that be, as you said, doesn't always have to be. It's advantageous because... The big thing, the reason why I like to think we talk about pitch geography, field geography, or the actual dimensions and things like that, is because you're trying to relate it more to the game. You're trying to draw that learning line, that connection. So I think that bodes a bigger question for the for the coaches listening is, you know, let's say your reality is you've got a third of a field and you've, you're having to go not along the normal natural lines. You've got to design it against the lines, but you just design your practice to make it realistic. That's fine. That's completely fine. But the reality is, is whatever you do, are you drawing the connection? Because I see a lot of coaches, and I've got this biggest challenge myself with the staff I work with, is I'm trying to get them to understand that I'm putting on a practice tonight, but that guy needs to walk away understanding, ah, get it. So when I get the ball in a game, that might be the one that I hit there. He's got to understand how that relates to the game and what you want him to, to do and some of the problems he's likely to face. So we have to draw that connection because it always comes back to clarity and relevance. What's the relevance to me and why? And I was thinking about what you said there, which was, you know, one of the coaches did the other day, just a basic, um, really simple possession game. But he was encouraging his centre-back, and this is at U9, just centre-backs to try and find that uh, full-back on the outside. He's create, and what he did was he drew... Um, normally, you have, like, horizontal lines, right, to create thirds of a pitch. He created the thirds, but he did it vertically. So, he used the phrase, like, how quickly can we play forward? How can we use the outsides in order to get the ball forward quickly? And by using that visual aid, every time the kids dropped into a space, whether it be a safe zone, whether it be whatever... When they dropped into a certain channel, they knew, like, I get it, and I just go, boom, and I hit it into that wide channel there, and I can try and find the player. And it's funny you mention that, because I got this picture in my mind straight away. Of we're playing in the the tournament. Our U9s are in the final, and it didn't always come off. But the fact that, going back to the habits, our centre-back's dropping off, creating angles, this little seven-year-old, eight-year-old, and he's, like, wrapping the ball in. He's trying to find the winger on the outside and he's playing that ball and not everyone's used to it and it's coming in fast and he's breaking lines or actually splitting them through the middle and I think back to that practice and he's only got a third of a field at times and I'm thinking back to the practice thinking do you know what it's the principles and the player actions like you said but it's forming good habits so that kid knows when he plays look I'm getting this ball and that's where I want to see can I find that number seven or can I find the number eight and I think that's what we've got to do more we've got to it's all about telling that story, isn't it? You've got to get that story into the player and, and, and form the good habits versus allowing them to 
without going off topic, you know, often coaching, we see a lot of mistakes and we'll go, oh, don't worry, good work, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But actually, if we're letting stuff go, that's poor coaching because you, I'm not saying correct everything because we don't want that either, but you can't let them keep making mistakes and allowing mediocrity. You've got to form good habits um, and get the players to learn how to form good habits and get the players to learn how to self-correct and things like that. So, you know, position-specific training to me, we have this debate. I want to finish off on this before we open up to questions. We had this debate on the when I was in charge with the DTM as an elite coach educator under Osh, really proud of seeing what's uh, going on in Morocco right now. You know, it's no coincidence. And they've got through to the semis. And I was a big part of the national philosophy and the methodology and coaching courses and things like that. And I was lucky that, you know, worked under Oshan and people like that. And we used to have this debate because, you know, from the FAW, they've got these phrases of like general practice and a specific practice. And one of the guys in there actually made this question. He said, what's the difference between a general practice and a specific practice? And obviously, by definition, we had definitions of what a general was and what a specific was. But he threw out this question of, shouldn't everything be specific? And as much as I didn't always like him, I thought, do you know what? It's not a bad shout in that, you know, if someone's coaching my kid generally or not coaching my kid at all, like, that's not good coaching. Everything should be specific because otherwise, what are you doing? And he made this good point in, like, the language and the vocab. So for me, when you talk about like position specific coaching, I just think about like it's the it's the individual consideration for that player and their needs because they're going to play in a position, so it has to be specific to them based on their strengths, their football profile, their football identity, and their areas of development. So you're putting them in a position that's going to help them get be successful, right? That's the whole point. You design the shapes to to get the best out of the players, whatever level you're working at, versus I'm a coach and I've got this bias and we're only going to play this formation, even though it changes in animation. It's no, put the players in a position where they can be successful. And sometimes you're designing those position-specific challenges. So it might be that if you know this kid needs to work on dealing with pressure uh, behind and what have you, you might, but then there'll be times where he's very good at faced up and out playing people. Maybe for the game, yeah, as you play, I don't know what your thoughts on this is, you know, for 80% of the game or 70% of the game, he plays as a 7 or 11 where he's running at people. But then 30% or 20% of the game, he plays as a number 10. And he deals with that pressure from behind. So you're designing position-specific challenges and scenarios to help this kid become a more rounded player. You know, look at Drew Bellingham as an example. Birmingham City, if you ever listen to Dodsey, Dodds talked about the reason why he's got that number and what have you is that they wanted him to have all the traits of almost like a six and eight and a 10, you know, and and be so versatile and adaptable, but have key qualities that he can operate in any system. And I think that's showing in how that player is playing, you know? So that to me is a specific coaching, but again, yeah, interesting to get obviously people's thoughts or questions. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that you've kind of hit, hit the nail on the head with there and, you know, just to give some ideas around. And I think that is, I think it's a great idea in, in terms of putting players at different positions. But I think if we if we backtrack a few, uh, for the first one, it's looking at everything should be specific. And I think, you know, we've certainly had loads of conversations, me and you, and, you know, one of the key words I like to use in all my conversations is that word clarity. 
you know. And for me, it's always recognising that, and I say this to the coaches that I work with on a general basis, if the players are doing things well, it's because of them. If they're not getting it right or if they're not doing it so well, it's because of you. And I think for me, that, that piece is key. Is what are we doing to be impactful for the players? And sometimes it might be putting them out of position. You mentioned earlier about play, playing players out of position and playing multiple positions. But personally, I think we also need to give them an opportunity to build their experiences, not just throw them into three or four positions. Obviously, if injuries come into play and that sort of stuff, then obviously we've got to kind of manufacture and, and, and deal with that as, as we see fit. But I think one of the phrases that you use there is about putting him in positions where he gets success. And I don't want that to be misinterpreted or, mis- or misunderstood by anyone in that we're not trying to manufacture success. What we're saying is, can we put them in situations where they, they're able to achieve success, but it's not guaranteed success. They have still have, there's still an element of work. There's still an element of application that needs to take place within that. And, you know, whether that's them doing some self-exploration around what what the situation is, whether it, because it's an unannounced practice or whether it's an announced practice and you're giving them ideas around how to achieve it, you know, th- there's no set way of doing it, so to speak, but it, it should not be generic. It should not be general. And in fact, if it is, what you're really working on is the is the question. Uh, you know, what, what, what can you actually be working on as a quote-unquote generic or general practice that's actually going to be fully impactful for the kids? And sometimes, like you said there, it might be putting them in practices where they are playing out of position or games where they are playing out of quote-unquote their position because actually you're just trying to develop their skill set, their, their ability to perform in different areas of the pitch against different situations, whether that be the pressure in front, pressure on the side, pressure in behind, or however, however that situation may look. But I'm also now thinking about this from the other side. Coaches will be saying, well, how do we make everything specific? We've got 12 players in our group. We've got 15 players in our session. We've got you know, 19 players in our session. How do we keep, how do we keep it specific and meet the needs of everyone? Um, especially if I'm working in a grassroots environment where I'm by myself. So what, what, what do you say to that one, Gerard? I would say, well, it sounds like it's an easy answer, but you've got to know your players. So how can you make it specific to everyone? A great start would be find out why they play the game. What makes playing football fun for them? We did this as a challenge card the other day, and I make another reference. Um, and obviously, you've had Rusty. You did a podcast with Rusty recently, didn't you, with the Magic Academy? And the the challenge cards are fantastic. And we actually gave out one of these cards to one of our staff the other week, and it was ask three players what they love about the the sport and how can, and try to incorporate that within your practice. So Christy's going away. She's trying to figure out what the, why they like playing the game. What is it about this, you know, that she likes? And this is no, uh, this is a true story, you know. One who loves the, the desire, like loves the jewels, like super competitive, loves the jewels, loves to win uh, the ball, likes competition, likes intercepts as an instinctiveness of defending, likes that side of it, the physical side of it, and the jewels and things like that. So. You could design a practice where you're incorporating that, but there's rewards, so there's incentives. If you're intercepting the ball, you're breaking up play or whatever. And then, of course, that you know by creating managing the opposition where they're defending well, you're creating a more challenging environment for the forwards of how do they lose that marker. So in that one v one, you that could be used as a number nine against the centre back or whoever. But how are you losing them? Do you know what I mean? And how you deal with those different types of pressures. 
for the number nine, for them, it might be, I just love scoring goals. And it might sound obvious, but how can you... But they might need to get better at... And this goes back to the individual stuff that we're going to do in the webinar as well. They might need to get better at finishing one-on-one against the keeper. Well, you asked me that question, as you said, you know, I've got a, uh, this squad, how do I make it specific for everyone? Well, if you're doing in a practice where you're working on breaking lines, and it's a possession game, and it looks fantastic, we've all done it, and you've got passing and moving and breaking lines, and yes, well done, and all this. But everyone's just keeping possession for possession's sake, or they'll get little rewards, and they're not, you know, they attack an end zone, they attack a mini goal, or whatever it is that you've got within the design. But that forward still needs to get better at finishing one-on-one against the keeper. And they're not very good. And every week you recognise that that's where it breaks down, even in your games. And they just need... But how are you designing and creating it individualised? How are you designing experiences for that player to get better at that within your practice? So to make it specific to everyone, you might go, do you know what? This kid loves scoring goals, loves being involved in the attack. That's why they play the game but they need to get better at one-on-one against a keeper. So perhaps even though we need to get better as a team at how we receive and break lines and our soft touch and our fast passes, we can work on breaking lines. But as we uh, find that ball into that final third, if you arrive into or receive, in, receive the ball into the, the, that finishing zone, it's one-on-one against a keeper, no recovering defender. And then that way, if that forward gets the ball, they get a shot off on goal. And you could feed another ball in as well. So you feed a ball straight into the possession game. They're keeping the ball while on the other end, that player's got X amount of seconds constraint to get the shot off. So now what you've done is you've designed an individual practice. Some might say position-specific, but you've designed an individual practice where you've, you recognise the lads who need to get better at breaking lines. Everyone's getting better at that. They're learning that. There's an end goal to it in that how do, we, how do we finish our attack, never mind build the attack. The the forward who needs to get better at finishing the attack is getting their repetition. And the kid who needs to get better at defending and loves defending is getting their duels as well. So everyone's happy. Do you know what I mean? And that's sounds like a really simple answer, but that's how I would do it, is find out what is it about the sport that makes them want to play? Why do they come to you? Because it might be that they love touching the ball. They love passing, they love the contact and the feel of the ball. Great. How can we design an environment where they're getting more of that? Because it's like anything in life. life. You, the, the more passionate you are about something, you're going to get better at it because you're going to want to want to work hard at it, aren't you? You know. So find out what that passion is. I think just there's some. There's a load. There's a load of stuff in there, and I think it's recognizing as well that that challenge piece is key making sure the players are being challenged and stretched. But you know what's something that I've, I've, I've been wrestling with the last couple of years and really thinking about it's how important is it about the action? So you mentioned there about the centre forward. They just love the game because they want to score goals or they score goals and that's why they love the game. You know, the, the piece that I've been wrestling with for the last couple of years is actually, is it about the action or is it about the feeling? Can we be clever as coaches and recreate those feelings and those emotions that they're, that they're, they're, they're experiencing through different means so that they recognise that actually there's multiple facets to this game and it's not just the goal-scoring piece that I need to be involved in to enjoy it. It's not just the 1v1 defending piece that I need to be involved in to enjoy it. But actually, I think it starts by recognising, again, coming back to what you said, knowing your players, 
what are the what are the feelings they're trying to experience and what's currently giving them the opportunity to experience those feelings so you know i'll give an example of this um in terms of when i when i design my practices i was working with one particular group for you know a couple of years and you know occasionally they'll come to me and say you know we want to play that pro- can we do that practice or can we do this practice and they will ask for the practice specifically and it's like what i realized was the way in which i designed the practice meant that they were going to get the challenge they needed they enjoyed the challenge and the and the competitiveness of the practice so if i could if i could nail in on that in terms of every practice that i designed going forward i was always going to have them and it was much more for me again about creating that feeling that they were getting and giving them opportunities to experience that feeling again and again and that emotion again and again of challenge of potential stress or potential pressure or potential um you know whatever that could have been and that was what that was what was doing it for them so it's recognizing that you know the emotion itself might not necessarily be coupled to the action that they think it is but it's actually just the emotion standalone anyway love it absolutely love it Not sure if anyone has any questions or any insights they want to share with us. Um, but while you know, while you guys are having to think about that, just a quick one a reminder as well for everyone. Uh, myself and Jared, you know, we've been delivering a couple of webinars um, over the last three, four months now, and we've got another one coming up on the twenty eighth of December, Wednesday night, during the Christmas break. Hopefully for everyone, where we'll be looking at individual coaching and what that looks like. So you know, please feel free to get in touch with us, find out more about that. Um, in the meantime, make sure you're following us as well. And Gerard, I don't know if you've got anything you want to add at this point. No, just to open up to, I know before, you know, these have been quite interactive, but, you know, if there's loads of information, people are digesting it, that's okay as well. I'm interested if anyone's got anything to add or any questions or comments, really, uh, based on what's been said. Obviously, there's a lot, isn't there, around, you know, pitch geography, uh, sometimes it always have to be pitch geography, but it helps making sure that there's a relevance, connecting the learning lines. Um, you know, the emotions I think is a huge point from you. Really understanding what why do players play the sport, what makes it what makes it fun, how can you incorporate that within your design of your challenges and your activities or match day coaching, and then just everything being specific to them and their identity. You know, there's loads that we we spoke about. It'd be interesting to see. If there's anybody that that wants to, you know, add more to that, hundred percent. Even if it's just as a comment in terms of what was, you know, what's been the most useful things to take that you've taken away from today's conversation, if at all, any. Tony here as well. Evening, Tony. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. Everybody. Um, sorry if if I'm gonna. Make a, a a point that's already been made, but I didn't realise that there was a space tonight, so I've I've literally just found it. Um, the only thing, Jared's uh, just touched on some bits, and I, I'm guessing they might relate back to something we spoke about last week, which is doing this position specific training in in the specific area of the pitch where it's likely to happen. So you mentioned pitch geography, and, and that would be be my take on that, where you can. If you've got the space to do it, then then do it in the area of the pitch that you do it. Um, the the other sort of point that I would like to make would be when you're doing position specific coaching, it's got to tie back into what 
the team is doing. So it's no good working on, for example, the uh, let's say the the centre forward dropping into space to receive it in between the lines. If every time the midfield get it, they put it over the fullback's head and want the centre forward to run the channels. So there has to be that that balance of specificity for the individual, but then the team have then got to work that back into the practice wherever you do it so it might be the next session or it might be a follow-on session definitely Turner I think it's something that you know Gerald referred to earlier about how how you link it into the I guess essentially the philosophy of the team and the way that they want to play the game and it's not just about doing generic practices around that position that don't align itself to wait the, the way it will slot in. So it's almost thinking of it as a jigsaw, isn't it, in some ways? Recognising that we're going to work on this small piece because we know exactly where it's going to slot in on the bigger picture. So no, definitely a great point. Um, David, talk to us, man. Good evening. How are you? How you doing, folks? Uh, great to hear the discussion tonight. I didn't anticipate hearing anything tonight in terms of a, a chat. Um, but I've been under under 14 group for the last four or five years. Um nationally so I've done a lot of thinking about this our pre-season will start now in January with a new group and the question I have about projects or position specific coaching is one intensity how do you maintain the intensity of the session um, how do you keep it realistic um, and I think the answer that I have is to spend 15 minutes before the session uh, maybe with a chat with the, the lads, we, we I normally divide the group into the defensive or their, their units, uh, whether it be defence, midfield, and attack. So I, I'm thinking I'm going to expand on a pre-training discussion with the group that I have um, moving forward, and hopefully, um, I think the benefits of position-specific um, talk and, and discussions will be player-led. That's the way I I, I I want to approach it. I'm not sure what you think about that. I think I think it's a great shout, Dave. I think what you know the, the thing that you need to consider though is um and this is this is a this is a debate I've had with a few people often as well, is 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 it player led for player led's sake, or is it player because you're trying to make it player centered? And if it's player centered, does it need to be player led? Um, and how much input or guidance or structure are you going to build into that conversation as well? So, I mean, just a few considerations there in terms of what to think about. But I think it's definitely worth trying. If you can get the players there all 15 minutes before the session, then you know, happy days. But it's, I think, a great point and a great question you said you started off with is, is how do you manage the intensity? And I think it is a really key piece because if it becomes too specific, can it get? Can it become uh, a bit too mundane and a bit too boring and tedious for the players to keep on doing the same thing again and again? And I think it's just finding that sweet spot with the players and coming back to what Gerard says, but recognizing what your players are there for and what makes them tick. Um, I don't know if that helps in any way, shape, or form. But I think Gerard's got his hand up as well. Go for it, G. No, I think it's a great question of intensity because immediately when I heard that, I just thought of. When we're designing these practices, perhaps we should think about how many, how long does that activity, that epi- that that scenario occur for, and at what level? So it could even be it doesn't have to be overly complicated. You know, you don't need GPS and all this stuff. 
you just have to think of it as, you know, if you're designing something where you want them to outplay and outthink in a 1v1, in their game, how long would that occur for? And at what intensity? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being maximal, 1 being obviously extremely low, where would you put it on that scale? And then what's the duration of it? Is it 10 seconds? Is it 15 seconds? 30? It's a long time, a minute. You know, the, the, the longer you're going, you're now working on perhaps other qualities than necessarily the, the explosiveness. You know, because what we've done a lot where we talk about intensity is we try and think about the action, the player actions, but then how long they'll occur for in different scenarios. And then that's how we'll try to consider our physical loading when we're designing stuff. Whether it be, you know, they're only work- that actual episode is like high maximal intensity, but it's for 15 seconds and then there's a rest period and they're working in other ways. Or it might be for longer. Or it might be that, you know, based on some of the scenarios that you know you're going to be able to recreate, for example, uh, you know, the last webinar we did, me and you, I showed that game where there's three pitches and it's developing decision makers, it creates natural overloads, underloads. It might be that you're playing for three minutes with a one-minute break. But in those three minutes, they're getting lots of different repetitions of different scenarios where they've got the overload and they're playing with the overload and how they can, how they can exploit it. Or they're attacking underloaded. Or equally, they're defending outnumbered and things like that. But the, the, the intensity and the seconds, the duration of those actions is very relevant quite realistic to like a normal game where you'll get those different periods of when a team's in balance, out of balance and so forth. And we just managed it where within that three minute period, there was loads of different scenarios that players will have experienced with a one minute rest and it maintained the quality, you know, so there might be little things like that that you do. And then how many times do you do that? Because effectively that's four minutes, if you like that's not factoring in any instructions or any other stuff. You know, do you do that two or three times? What do you do? Sorry, as you got your hand up. Yeah, no, it's just going to, you know, kind of link into what you were saying initially. And I think it's a great point. And it's something that I sort of mentioned to, I had a conversation with a coach recently. And it was, they were doing a practice in the midfield third. And it was about, about possession, maintaining possession. It was a kind of an overloaded practice. And the, the only, the first question I asked is, all right, well, how long is it going to last? And they said, you know, oh, we might give them eight seconds. Okay, brilliant. So you're going to give them eight seconds. But why are you giving them eight seconds? Because it would never look like that in a game. You wouldn't get eight seconds in a 3v2 situation if you did that that overload or that underload or that, that, that bit that you're working on. It should not be your priority. Your priority should be, right, how long, the, how long is it taking these players to get back into shape and potentially balance the numbers up again? So I think it's a great point to make in terms of how long does the scenario last? And I think it's one that often goes overlooked. In, in fact, in that, yeah, we're going to do a three v two, and it's going to be a two two minute practice. And it's like, okay, you might do it for two minutes, but is it going to be a two minute practice, or is it going to be several sets of five seconds, as an example? And therefore, if you do several sets of five seconds, now you've, you know within that one hundred and twenty seconds, you've got yourself twenty odd twenty odd repetitions or forty odd repetitions, or however many it is. And look at it from that perspective. And I think also in terms of coming back to David's question about the intensity, you then you, you then naturally, but you know, it will drive some of that intensity around the outcome of of what the practice is actually demanding the players to do. Are they trying to be effective and impactful with the time that they've got, or are they just trying to maintain possession for the sake of it? And if that was the case, again, coming back to your point, Gerard, 
how long will it stay like that? Looking at the nature of their game, looking at the t- typical things that happen within their game, and this is where video footage can come into play as well. You know, I've you know I've done a little piece on a team that I'm working with recently, and you know we realised that actually it's taken us, as an example, on average taking taking one group of players 24 seconds to get the game restarted after after the ball's gone dead whether that be from a free kick, whether that be from a, a throw-in or whatever else that may be, but it's taking them far too long when actually showing them the footage of that and really getting them to recognise just how long it's actually taking them now gives them an opportunity to actually see what, we, see what we're referring to and then break it down further and say, right, OK, now here's the challenge. When that ball does go out of play, as an example, can we, sh- can we shut that 24 seconds down and split it right down to maybe knocking 10 seconds off to make it 14 seconds or 12 seconds, even, in fact, and see what outcomes that brings. And that, you know, that again is another way of driving the intensity and that then carries itself onto within the sessions that we're doing with the training but obviously then re- reinforcing that same challenge and building on that when it comes to match day so there's you know there's different ways in which you can kind of do it but I think the key piece is if you're going to be looking at position specific stuff or you, it's not even position specific generally if you're going to be looking at any particular elements how long does it stay like that how long are you going to expect the game to be situated in that way and if it is that long what would happen once a particular time passes, so if it is three seconds, what happened? What, what's the likely outcome after three seconds? What's the likely outcome after four and five and six and so on and so forth? And are you manufacturing the practice and the producing the practices and designing the practice in a way where those things then present themselves at those different time points? Yeah, I love it. And that's why I think it's so important to watch the game, not just, you know, actually, see, like, there's a difference between watching and seeing. You know, and like really look at the game, look for those individual details, identify that slice of the game, like you said, and how long that occurs for and at what intensity. And then you can start to make your your practices more relevant and and realistic. Brilliant shout. No, but David, great questions there as well. And Tony, thanks for your input as well. I don't know if anyone else got any, anything else they want to add at this point in terms of any questions that have come off the back of the conversation today or any other experience or insights you guys want to share around position-specific coaching as a whole. Might be a good time just to wrap up then, uh, G. Just give them a bit of insight around where they can find you and some some of the Ulermbly stuff and we'll talk about the webinar as well. Yeah, really excited for the webinar. I think it's going to be good. And of course, we've just added a new course where I provide loads of insights on Ulermbly. You can see it on the Twitter handle here. It's a digital coach education platform. And effectively, you can personalize your own coach education online, learn at your own speed anywhere, anytime. Just added a load of courses around elite insights. So we've got stuff on there from Chelsea, Arsenal, Celtic, Leeds United, MLS stuff, and just different topics. So whatever it is that you're trying to search for that's going to obviously improve your coaching knowledge, you know, you can you can access that via the platform. So I encourage you to check those out. And, of course, you can follow us on this Twitter handle and Gerard Jones, G-E-R-I-R-D underscore Jones. Awesome. And guys, again, my name's Yas. If you're not following already, make sure you follow myself and Gerard. We've got a webinar coming up on the 28th of December where we're going to be covering individual coaching, what it looks like, some of the key considerations to make and how to be more impactful with it within your environments. Um, away from that, building on Gerard, 
you know, he's got his ULMB platform, but equally we've got the Coaches Network podcast where you can tune in and get some great insights from loads of different guests around different aspects of coaching. And ultimately, guys, make sure you're following us and be with us every Sunday. We're here every Sunday on the Twitter space. If you've got any particular thoughts around themes or questions you'd like to put forward to us and have us discuss it on, on here, let us know as well. Gerard, I think it's probably a, a good time to round up and finish off and sign off, man. No, perfect. So we're really looking forward to the webinar. I think it's going to be a great insight into what individualised coaching looks like. And uh, look forward to chatting to everyone next weekend. Hope everyone has a great rest of the weekend. And perhaps even try some of these stuff, what's been discussed in your practice environments. You know, see what works, what doesn't work. And uh, you can even bring that back to the next Twitter space. 100% following up on the World Cup final. Hopefully we see Morocco win it. And you can share some insights on how you got it to happen, D. Mate, I wish I'd have put a bet on it. I'm, a, I'm so frustrated at myself because... Especially with some of the, t- I was saying to Elliot, be inside the trading, but especially some of the text messages I was looking at before the World Cup, I, you know, I'm thinking, oh God, I should have put money on it. But I, d- I mean, this is incredible. It's a fairy tale story. It's so good. And I, I did tell people, people who know me know this is true. I told everyone in the US, I reckon they'll get to the quarters. To get to the semis is incredible. I think Reguari's done a great job. But if you look at that detail, there's no – that is not an accident. You know, Osh has had a huge influence there. Regari obviously was on the pro. He got a lot of history. You know, he played for Morocco with um, with the assistant manager as well. And he was obviously part of the team that won Chan uh, with Amuta. You know, you've got uh, in Rashid and, you know, you've got other people in the team behind the team. You'll get me going here, but – I'm just buzzing. I'm so I'm like a Moroccan fan. It's it's incredible. But you've got serial winners. You know, you've got obviously Reguay won the Champions League, won the Batola Pro with uh, Wydad. He, he's he's done so well. He's he's won uh, stuff with Al Dahail, which is a huge club. You know, Qatar, and um, you've got uh, people like Musa. Musa is obviously the analyst. Um, previously with Belgium, with uh, Roberto Martinez, and got the, the third third place medal. Um, obviously, Moroccan, he's on the, the analyst team. You've got Harrison Kingston, who's the, who's the director of performance analyst with the Federation. Now, Osh brought him in. Uh, Harrison, obviously, used to work at Liverpool with Jurgen Klopp at first team level. Champ, you know, UEFA Champions League, World Club Cup with FIFA, Premier League, Super Cup, you name it. He's been a part of that. And then when he was on the backroom staff with Rashid and Amuta, they won Chan. So, again, like you've got serial winners here that know how to win, know to look for those micro details. So, you know, if anyone wants to, I'd definitely put money on. I think they've got nothing to lose. I think there's so much history going into that game against France because obviously France used used to obviously own Morocco, didn't they? You know, when they got their independence and stuff. There's a lot of history between... There's a lot of cultural stuff going on between France and Morocco. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. So, I, I think Morocco against France, I'd put my money on Morocco. I really would. It'd be incredible. And then if they get to the final, you know, it's anybody then, isn't it? You know, I think the beautiful thing here, when I watch them, is I'd be saying to people is that you just hope they, they're going to go that extra 15 20%. Yeah, and most people probably drop by twenty, thirty percent because they might be thinking, "Oh, we're playing Morocco," so you, you're already at an advantage. And realistically, Morocco—they've got nothing to lose. 
They've already done great. Getting to getting out of the groups was incredible. Doing well against some of the teams they did and not conceding is incredible. And then so they could have got and Portugal as well. Exactly. So they'd have gone home legends anyway. Yeah. I think what's really good is if you watch Raguawi's press conference, and obviously I know him from the from the pro license we with the CAF Pro and stuff. He made a very good statement, which is, I don't want players to come here just for three games. We've got to change the mentality. It's not a blooming holiday. Yeah. You're coming here to win. If you're not coming here to win, you're not going to be a part of the squad. It, so he's created that belief. And, and now that, it's, it's a that culture, of, isn't it? It's the culture, yeah. It's, the, it's high performance. And you think now they've got nothing to lose. 100%. Because it, they lose on, on uh, was it Wednesday or whenever, when they play France. They're still They've wins. done amazing. They got to the semi-finals. You know, it's incredible yeah. for the continent, for the Arab world, for Africa. But they've got every chance of winning. I, there's more pressure on France to lose, I think, than there is from Morocco to win. So, And, and you argue as well that Morocco, you know, for everything, they've probably been the most organised defensively. They've been, they've been absolutely outstanding. Oh, God, unbelievable. And it's, but again, like a lot of those details, they'll train. You know, they'll train all that stuff. And the, to be fair, you've got to remember as well, they had a fantastic defensive record under Coach Vahid. You know, obviously he lost because of uh, some of the issues and obviously fallen out with Ziesh and some of the other stuff. And the president is obviously a big part of that. And he wanted somebody to have that relationship where you got Ziesh and a few of these other guys going to the World Cup. So it is what it is, you know. But even under Coach Vahid, Halle Dodgic... They had an outstanding defensive record. They'd gone X amount of games without even losing, you know. So um, you're riding on a on a wave here of history where they're doing really well. I think they've got a fantastic chance, and it just shows, you know, the World Cup's been great, and it mate. That'll have to be a topic for another day of the World Cup. But there's been so many upsets in it, hasn't there? 100%, 100%. But guys, thank you for joining us this evening. It's been really insightful to get, you know, the thoughts of Tony and even David. Some of your good questions there. Um, we'll, we'll be back next week. Um, we'll announce the topic in the next couple of days. But again, if you guys get any ideas or any thoughts around what you want to hear discussed, then please feel free to let us know. Make sure you're following myself and Gerard. We are here pretty much every Sunday having these conversations for this reason exactly, just to help us grow this coaching community, making sure we've got like-minded individuals around us and continue to help each other grow. So, guys, have a great evening. Hope you've enjoyed the discussion and make sure you make sure you check us out next week. Well, there you have it guys, another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.